0: Why don't we pray? Lord, we just thank you for this time together. I just thank you for the newfound friends and family that we have here at New Philadelphia. Lord, we've just been so blessed and I give you glory. I give you praise, Father, for connecting our hearts. Lord, I just feel so at home here and just the fiery presence of the Lord that, that I love so much and the kindred spirits that we share. So, Lord, I pray that You would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, that You would call our hearts into our identity as priests before You. Lord, I pray for ears to hear and eyes to see right now. Lord, that every distraction and every circumstance of life would be laid aside so that we may gaze and focus into Your Word. Jesus, You are the Word. Lord, You will reveal Yourself to us through Your Word. You have promised we will encounter a man as we encounter Your Word. So Lord, I pray that You would be exalted, that You would be seen high and lifted up in this time. Holy Spirit, come. Let Your presence fill this place. We were made for encounter. We were made for encounter. Prepare our hearts to encounter You. Lord, we expect to encounter you today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Lord just kissed me a moment ago. Uh, he kissed me earlier in the service at Hillside uh, as you were sharing your morning scriptures or daily scriptures. Uh, this morning, they shared the same verses that I shared last night out of John seventeen twenty six. And then as I was preparing this message, uh, they had no idea what verse I was going to be speaking out of today. But the, the verse that they put on the screen is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, the very passage that the Lord had put on my heart to speak to you today. And so there was absolutely no way anyone could have known that. And so you can be confident the Lord wants to speak to you today. So just be ready. For that to happen. Uh, I personally just got back from a revival that's in Mobile, Alabama, and the Lord's presence is so strong. And, you know, every time I get into the presence and the Lord begins to speak to me, I, I realize once again that I was made for His presence. You know, I go to many different churches, and when I go in, you know, there's different levels of anointing and there's different levels of His presence and glory. But you know, when you step into a church and you feel that manifest presence of God, something inside of you awakens and says, I was made for his presence. And I just encourage you as a church, I know you're pursuing God. I know you're pressing in, but don't ever sacrifice anything other for the presence of God. Contend for His presence regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what price has to be paid, regardless of what people may say about you. Guys, if you are part of a, and I'm just going to say this, if you're somewhere where there is no presence, you better make sure that the Lord has called you there. Otherwise, go get in His presence. You know, don't follow some false obligation or false humility to stay somewhere where you're not growing in the knowledge of God. That you're not being filled with revelation of who He is and being released to do the work of the ministry. So many ministries today are lording over their congregations and are not releasing the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. You see, we've, we've created platforms and positions and titles and labels that are actually hindering the growth and the maturity of the body of Christ. And many times, people come to a church service just to hear their ears tickled and to hear eloquent words or eloquent sermons rather than actually coming to a place of unity in the room corporately to experience God together. You know, Paul said, I did not come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but rather I come to you in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power so that your faith does not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so what's happened is we've fallen into this trap of Greek philosophical lecture teaching And we reproduce this style of learning that makes us think if we get more information, then we're going to get the reality. But guys, let me tell you, you were made for encounter. You were made not to just get information, but to actually experience Him. And so I find that so many today are just running to and fro, hearing good messages, hearing good sermons... And the people are putting a demand on the pastors and the preachers to feed them. And, and what we need to do is give the body of Christ the Word of God and create an atmosphere for them to go and cultivate the Word in their own life. You know, we're kind of in a Moses mentality. Moses, you go up the mountain. You get the Word and then I'll come every Sunday... And then I'll let you feed me. Because I'm unwilling to do the work myself. Is this okay? You know, we need the boat to be rocked. And we need to not be afraid to do it. Because there's a spirit of religion, the pharisaical spirit, that is standing in the way. And it wants to control believers. And it likes the place of notoriety. And it likes to abuse authority and and manipulate people to get the praise of man. And the body of Christ needs discernment in this hour. We need to discern those whom the enemy is operating through because of a stronghold of tradition or a stronghold of something that the western church has created. And it must be resisted. And as you see in the lives of the disciples, once it's resisted, There will be persecution. That's a good litmus test to determine how much of the spirit of truth you're actually walking in. You see, the church has fit so well into this world that the principalities let us continue on as normal. We fit right in. We look like the business next door. We don't look like an organic community flowing in power. We look like the CEO and the hierarchical structure trickling down that... Abuses believers Anyway, don't shout me down You know, and this is leading right into my message because God from the very beginning has created humans for himself You were made for God And you see today, I think we've got it backwards Most people don't understand that we were created to minister to him You know, we we are so under a taskmaster today is that people put obligations and duties on us that God's not putting on us. And we feel like we have to do for God and then we'll get His pleasure. But see, first and foremost, you are called to be a lover of God and to minister to His heart. Well, many of you say, well, why does God need me to minister to Him? That's the beautiful thing. He does. He doesn't need you, but He he overwhelmingly desires you to minister to Him. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, He called a people unto Himself to minister to Me. You are My special treasure, and you shall minister to Me, and you will be to Me a kingdom of priests. First and foremost, called to be set apart solely to be God's treasure, His diadem in His hand. You are His possession. And before you do anything, before you go on the mission field, before you plan a church, you need to realize my first calling in life is to minister to Him. And out of that reality, we do the works of the kingdom. Sometimes we've got it backwards, haven't we? We want to go and do, 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 and we don't have the encounter with Him to... Uh, In part to us the ability to reproduce something that's real So what we do is we go and we reproduce ourselves who are disconnected from the life of god And that's why we have the structures we have because we're leaning on the arm of the flesh So turn with me to first peter chapter 2 In verse 9 and I had absolutely no intention of sharing what I just shared So that was free. That's an old joke. First Peter, Chapter Two, Verse Nine. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. Now, the royal priesthood—you need to understand—reconciles the two offices. Some people say you are a, you will be kings and priests, but the actual, actual translation is you will be a kingdom of priests. The two offices coming together. In the example of David, functioning in the authority of the king, operating in the office of the priest, you are a royal priesthood. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, the connection with the priesthood correlates with the proclamation of who He is. And that's important. And I hope I don't want to go over your head today. You're only going to get a, a, some of this because most people only take in about 5 minutes of every 60 minutes of lecture teaching. And that's your doctors and your lawyers. So you're pretty much going to forget what I said Get the CD. But I hope you get some of this. So listen. Incline your ear. Jesus said, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Open up your spirit and receive. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. And what I'm doing here is I'm laying a foundation of the reality under the new covenant of the priesthood. Because most people, when they think of a priest, what do you think of? You think of the Catholic guy with the little white thing around his neck, right? <laughs> you know, or the big funny hats. Or the guy that you have to go and sit next to in the confession booth, right? That's what most people think of when they think of a priest. Or they think of the ironic Order or the... Aaronic uh, lineage of the institution of Moses in the tabernacle in Leviticus chapter 8 and we're going to go there in just a moment but again in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 and he has made us to be a what kingdom, kingdom of what to his God and father Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 You have made them to be a kingdom of what? To our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Again, you see the reconciliation, the correlation between the priesthood and the ruling and reigning of the kingship. You shall be kings, you will operate in the kingly anointing as priests governing the earth. And I wish I had time to go into all that in the millennial reign where you're partnering with Jesus as He rules and reigns in Jerusalem to restore the earth after it's been destroyed in the second coming. Maybe I can come back and do that. (laughs) (laughs) So turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. I just wanted to give you those scriptures so that you could go back and meditate and, and study Because you're not going to get this in one hour setting with me, okay? You're going to have to go back and chew on this and digest it and allow the Lord to breathe on it and give you revelation of the priesthood. How many of you were not here last night? Raise your hand. Okay, last night we talked about the three eternal identities of a believer. The first one being sons, which... Relates to our authority and the dominion that's been restored through Jesus Christ. You are sons and daughters of God, the Most High God. And you've been called to exercise authority over creation. The second being the bride of Christ. And who can tell me what that represents? Intimacy and affections of God. God. And she just read it. Okay, the third thing was your royal priesthood. You are a priest before God eternally. This is who you are, and this is who you will forever be. Isn't that cool? We're going to talk about exactly what that means a little more. So we're going to Exodus 33. Let's start in verse 13. This is Moses interceding. He says, Now therefore I pray you, If I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Now, this is a a good verse to use. I pray this all the time. I'm like, Lord, just as Moses prayed, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. Again, we are a people marked by his presence. We need his presence restored in the church again. Verse 16: For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? It is not by your going with us, so that we, I, and your people be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth. It's the presence of God in your life that distinguishes you from everyone else in the earth. Have you ever wondered why God chose the people of Israel? Why just the children of Israel? Why just that race? Why just those people? It's because God had to choose and select a certain people so that He could bestow on them His blessings and that everyone else could see the blessings of God on His chosen race to represent who He is. You see, it's all about the knowledge of God. It's all about people seeing the blessing, the power, the favor of God on His people that will provoke others to want to get saved or to know Him. That's why His presence is so important. And even at the end of the age, when we see the people of Israel going through such turmoil and strife, and it you know—it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that all the nations are going to gather against Israel, we already see it, don't we? I mean, if you want to get some prophetic insight of the times we're living in, all you have to do is turn on CNN, and that every nation is going to rise up against Jerusalem, but God has called His people to be a catalyst to carry His presence and lead the chosen people once again back to their Messiah because they are walking in the blessings and the inheritance of His favor that was promised them all the way back to the day of Abraham. And I believe the Korean church is called to be intercessors for the salvation of Israel. And many of you will will hear the call to be set apart and to, to labor in the place of intercession for Israel. And so we find that God told Moses to instruct a tabernacle or construct a tabernacle because he wanted a place where he could meet with his people. I mean, he wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, but sin separated them from God. You know, you were made to walk in the presence of God. So God raised up Moses and He began to show Moses how He could construct a tabernacle or a tent of meeting so He could once again encounter His people. And so in Leviticus chapter 8, and I don't have time to just uh, lay it out verse by verse, I'm just going to tell you what God told Moses. Okay? God said, okay, Moses, I want you to go and get Aaron and his sons. And I want you to gather all the children of Israel. First, build this tabernacle, put furniture in it, you know, go get you some animals. I'm doing something. Trust me, Moses. Okay, Lord, whatever you say. So he goes and tells Aaron and his sons, look guys, God's told me to do this and I want you to meet me outside this tabernacle in a few days. Okay, we'll be there Moses. So they all gather there and then all of a sudden Moses is standing in front of Aaron and his sons and he says, okay guys, take your clothes off. They're like, what? Now wait a minute Moses, you said you heard from God and God told you to do this? To tell me to take my clothes off in front of a million people? I mean, everyone was gathered there. You know, they're like, I don't know, Moses, I quit. (laughs) You know, game over. But no, they were in obedience to the Lord, following their leader, Moses. And so Moses says, okay, this is what the Lord has shown me. All right, take some water and wash these guys. Just pour fresh water over them. Strip them naked and then wash them with pure water. So they get this cold water thrown on them. And then Moses says, okay, go get these funky garments that the Lord told me to make. These weird clothes. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. And so they start putting on these garments. And these guys are standing there like, man, this feels good. This is nice linen, you know. And they they put all these different garments on them. And they have no idea what's going on or why this is happening. And Moses said, God told me to do this. Just trust me because He wants to encounter us again. This is going to be our meeting place with God. And so then he puts this heavy gold plate on top of him and then he lays this ephod on Aaron and it's blue and it's beautiful and then he puts this breastplate on top of Aaron and it's got all these jewels on the inside and then he takes these special stones and he tucks it in behind the breastplate. And see, what would happen is there's the Urim and the Tummim. These two special stones. And there was a little pouch behind the breastplate of the high priest. And what would happen is when the high priest walked into the tabernacle, then these stones would actually begin to glow and light up one of the jewels that were in the breastplate supernaturally. And what it meant, it was the spirit of revelation illuminating which tribe was under the judgment of God for the sake of intercession because each jewel represented one of the 12 tribes. And, that, and we'll get back to that in a moment. So he's putting these garments on Aaron, and they still don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, we're going to slaughter some animals. What? You know, they start cutting up bulls, cutting up rams. You know, they're pulling out the entrails, pulling out the guts and the kidneys and the fat, the lobe of the liver. And then all of a sudden they start barbecuing and they just start offering up these different parts of the animals and all the all the stuff we wouldn't keep is what the Lord wanted burned and then they said the hide and the skin and the things that were really good to keep and were expensive he said go burn outside the camp totally contrary to the way we would think and so he's burning these parts of the animals as offerings to the Lord and You know, the smell probably was terrible. I don't know if you've ever been hunting or if you've ever gutted a pig or gutted a deer or whatever you may do in Korea. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, other animals. And so... You know, the smell is terrible. When you cut open an animal, I mean, the smell is terrible. And you know, you got Aaron and his sons, and they don't know what's going on, and this terrible smell. Moses, why are you killing these animals? Why, are you, why is this smell, this stench, is going all over the place? And he said, just trust me, guys. God told me to do this. And God told Moses to take his finger and, and take the blood and, and anoint all the articles of furniture inside the tabernacle. And see, then he said, take... The blood, and I want you to anoint Aaron and his sons on the ear, on the thumb, and on their big toe. And see, what you need to understand is the blood represented a consecration unto the Lord. Alright? Anytime someone is consecrated or set apart, that's what God was doing, is that blood represented an atonement for the people to be able to come into God's presence. You know, the reason the garments were linen is because there could be no sweat. You know, because they were entering into the holy presence of God, and so everything had to be atoned for. Everything had to be covered. Everything had to be in in agreement with God's heart, and no defilement of the flesh in any way. And so they. Moses goes and he puts the blood all over Aaron and his sons, their ears and their toes and their fingers, and then then he says, "Okay, I want you to sprinkle blood and oil all over." Aaron and his sons. So what the way they would do it, they would take the tail of a pigeon and they would dip it in the oil and the blood and they would walk around and Moses would fling it on them. I mean, imagine the smell. Imagine what's going on. These guys are wearing these funny clothes and they're getting hit with blood and oil. They're saying, okay, Moses, we trust you. And he says, I want you to come over here and lay your hands on this ram and identify. Identify yourself with this beast In your sinful nature And so they go and they lay hands on the ram And then he says, okay guys, we're going to wait here For seven days, you can't go anywhere In front of the tent of meeting They had to stand there You can see the blood starting to dry In the heat And the smell is just terrible Terrible and you know they were questioning, God, are you sure you, know, you want us to do this? You know they're, Again, they're saying, Moses, I quit. And the people are watching because God, said Mo, or Moses told, God told Moses that he was going to encounter his people. So then Aaron and Moses, at the end of the seven days, on the eighth day, they go into the tabernacle. And what happens? They enter into the Holy of Holies and fire comes down from heaven consumes the burnt offering. Moses and Aaron come out of the tabernacle. Whew, man, I feel his press. Come on, Holy Ghost. They stretch out their hand and the fire, the glory of God hits them. All the people shout and fall on their face because the glory of God descended. And I can just... The heart of God was overwhelmed because once again, now He can encounter His people. He has made a way to meet With His people. But here's the thing. Only one person could enter into that Holy of Holies once a year. They had to go through this entire protocol of this priestly sanctification and consecration in order to come into God's presence. And so it was very rigorous. It was very detailed. It it was so structured and it was directly from heaven... God told Moses specifically that this is what he wanted him to do. And this is how he was going to encounter his people. So let's take this and let's translate it over to the new covenant. What do these things mean to us today? How many of you have read these verses and been like, what in the world? Why in the world does this apply anything to me? Right? It's like so boring, so useless. Let me tell you, it means more than you could possibly imagine. Jesus said, if you do not believe the words of Moses, then how can you believe me? And two-thirds of the Old Testament is about the priesthood. Our priestly identity has been so tucked away and hidden, and no one preaches about it, no one talks about it. The majority of people I talk to have no idea of their identity as a priest. God's calling and setting apart to be a royal priesthood. So turn with me to First Corinthians, Chapter six, Verse nineteen. actually you know let's turn to hebrews 8 i'm going to i'm going to go somewhere else real quick now the book of hebrews many theologians debate over who was the author of the book of hebrews Now, Paul said that when he writes a letter, he always ends in a certain way. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you all. And that is the same way that the book of Hebrews ends. Now, the reason the writer of Hebrews wanted to keep it confidential is because the book of Hebrews is probably the most controversial book in the New Testament. I mean, you have to understand the priesthood in its day was the most sacred position you could hold in the nation of Israel. I mean, they were the ones who controlled the government. They were the ones, the religious leaders who crucified Jesus, remember? The Pharisees, the priesthood, the high priest. And this was a tradition that had been passed down ever since Moses through Abraham. And so the writer of Hebrews, the first three chapters, goes into talking about how Jesus is greater than Moses and is greater than Abraham and is greater than the angels and that there's a whole new priesthood. I mean, whoever wrote this book would have been killed immediately. The most controversial book to the nation of Israel. I mean, it was a slap in the face to their entire structure of leadership. And so I believe Paul had the ability to write this. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This is just my opinion. You can, you can believe whoever, but I like to have fun with it. But I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews and, and the information contained in there is there's such a depth of revelation. Revelation. I mean, it is so weighty. And it has so so much of a shift concerning the perspective of the belief system of the Hebrew way of thinking. And in chapter 8, the writer says this, now the main point in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary in the what? True tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also has something to offer. Now, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly reality. Did you get it? Did you get it? You see, the earthly tabernacle was just a copy and a shadow of something that's actually taking place in heaven. And so what Jesus did is He came and inaugurated a perfect priesthood. You see, the law was limited. The Aaronic order was limited in perfection. And so Jesus had to come and step into His rightful place as a high priest. Now, there were many mikvah baths, okay, in the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. And a mikvah bath was the place where a, a priest would wash or a person would wash and dip in the bath before they went into the sanctuary. Okay, But Jesus had to go out to the Jordan River to meet John the Baptist. Now, during the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, the, the priesthood was corrupt under Caiaphas. Caiaphas was not the rightful heir of the high priesthood. Are you guys following me? Because the high priest had to be of the lineage or the genealogy or the son of a bloodline of who? Aaron, the Levitical order, the Aaronic order, he had to be a son of Aaron in order to be a high priest. Well, we read that if you follow the, the uh, genealogy of the father and mother of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the rightful heir to the high priesthood. And he grew up in the desert eating locust and honey, meditating on the word and the spirit. And when Jesus went out to the Jordan River, which represents the place of change, right? Jesus walks up to John the Baptist and said, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Now what would happen is whenever the high priest would immerse another high priest in the mikvah or the bath, there was a passing of the high priesthood. Whenever the high priest was passing the mantle of the high priesthood, they would immerse them or baptize them. So when Jesus said, this is to fulfill all righteousness, it was so that John the Baptist could immerse Jesus. And the mantle of the high priesthood fell on Jesus. Come on. (laughs) Were you told that when you were baptized? Do you understand why you were baptized now? Turn to to Hebrews chapter 5. You need to go back and chew on this stuff, okay? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 5. In verse 5 it says, So also Christ did not glorify Himself so as to become a high priest, but He who said to Him, You are My Son. Today I have begotten You. Just as He says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, many people get confused about who Melchizedek was. Don't get confused. Don't, don't allow that to, to trip you up. Because it's not who he is that matters, it's what he represents. Okay, He represents an eternal priesthood through sonship. You see, Jesus' priesthood was based on his sonship. That's why the writer of Hebrews can correlate those two passages of Scripture saying, You are my son, today I have begotten thee, and you are a priest forever. Your priesthood is based on your new birth. There's a new and living way. You see, Jesus, being the Son of God, was the high priest over the heavenly reality." In the perfect priesthood where the tabernacle is in heaven. Did you know there's a golden altar in heaven where incense is gathered? Just as there's a golden altar in the earthly tabernacle. Did you know that each one of you are actually wearing clothes in the spirit? Garments. Did you know Jesus said unless they are wearing the wedding garments they cannot enter? It says that the white linen robes are the righteous acts of the saints. Did you know the trousers represent salvation? The robe represents righteousness. The blue ephod represents the baptism of the Spirit. There's a bell and a pomegranate that rest around the edges of the ephod, which represent the signs and the wonders and the fruit of the Spirit. Then on top of that baptism, there's a mantle of a breastplate that's pressed upon you. Intercession for Israel. And there's no need for the Urim and the Tummim anymore to give you revelation because you have the Holy Ghost. That it enlightens your heart. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you following me? You're a priest. And you know what that means? You have access. You have access. And when Jesus was crucified, the perfect sacrificial lamb, perfect sacrificial lamb, the veil was torn, wasn't it? Did you know when Jesus lifted up his hands when he was up on the cross and said, Negmar, it is finished. Every act of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ fulfilled every ordinance of the sacrifice for the access into the Holy of Holies. And the words Negmar mean it is finished when the priest would offer up the burnt offering at at the day of Passover, they would wave the wave offering and say, it is finished. Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle necessary for there to be perfect access into the Holy of Holies. The veil's been torn, and now through the blood of Jesus, we can go into the Holy of Holies any time we want through faith. Unbelievable. I don't know if you just got that. There should be a bigger amen than that. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. You know, let me talk again about 1 Corinthians 6.19. I just want to throw this out there right quick. Paul got revelation, guys. Paul understood it. Paul said, you know what? It's not about a tabernacle made by hands anymore. Oh my gosh, I see the glory and the Spirit of God resting on bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the tabernacle. Man, they must have thought Paul was a lunatic. But the revelation he was walking in. You know, he went out and, and, you know, he meditated in the desert for 13 years. And got Downloads. It's like, wait a minute, guys. Your body is now the temple. And I see the Holy Spirit coming and filling your temple. And that you have Christ living in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That the glory of God can rest upon your frame. And guys, this was so revolutionary. I mean, so revolutionary. And you can't go to Israel today and call yourself a priest, okay? Hasidic Jews will kill you. They will stone you. And you need to understand because God's going to raise you up and you're going to go preaching the gospel to Jews in flight and you're going to say, I'm a priest. And they're going to say, how are you a priest? You're not a son of Aaron. And you're going to say, well, Stephen Beauchamp told me right here in the Word of God that we are through the order of Melchizedek and through the new birth of Jesus Christ. There's a new and living way and now I have access to the Holy of Holies and I'll prove it to you. Come Holy Ghost, be healed in Jesus' name. Come on. Signs and wonders. That's how... And they're going to be provoked to jealousy, right? Romans 11.11. Romans 10.25 Do not be ignorant of this mystery, brethren, because we have become ignorant and arrogant. And there's doctrines out there that says that we have replaced Israel. No, friend. No. God put His glory on a Gentile-believing church so that we could be a catalyst for restoration of their inheritance. We've only been grafted in. And he will not deal with them separately from us. He wants to partner with us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have what? Confidence. Have I got time? What time do you guys wrap up? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter what? What? What did he just say? Go back to Leviticus chapter 8. All the things they had to go through, right? And now he's saying, we have confidence to enter the holy place. What are you talking about? Only Moses could go. Only Aaron could go. Once a year. How can we go there now? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because a perfect lamb shed His blood. And that blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. And it speaks forgiveness. It speaks healing. And it speaks authority. And I've been born again because of it. And I'm a priest because of it. And now I can come in and encounter my God the way He intended me to encounter Him from the beginning. And I can minister to His heart. By a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil. That is His flesh. His flesh was torn. And the day that Jesus died on the cross, that eight inch thick curtain with no partition ripped right down the middle. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a what sincere heart, a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you hear the language? You hear the sprinkling and the washing did you know when you got saved, you got stripped, didn't you? And then you got washed, didn't you? And then you got clothed. And then you got sprinkled with blood and oil, didn't you? Because you have your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And then you're anointed with the oil. Do you know what oil represented? They would put that the ingredients of the anointing oil on people for burial. So that the body wouldn't stink. So when you get anointed, that means you got to die. Or if you want more anointing, you have to die. So you were given the oil, you're sprinkled with the blood, and then what? You had to wait. Now this is the time and the seasons that you have to discern because many of you are in that waiting process. And the most difficult thing is for you to stand there with all this stuff on you and you not be able to do what you want to do because God's out to kill you. <laughs> and you hate waiting. You hate waiting until you become a leader in the church. You hate waiting until you get married. You, get hate, you, you hate waiting until you get recognized. Or you get the notoriety. Or you get the title of a pastor or a teacher. Well, you won't get it until you're dead. So, we go through the same process, don't we? Everything in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, applies to you. You have the garments, you have the access, the veil's been torn. You have a high priest who is there to intercede on your behalf nonstop. The issue is do you have confidence? Are you living in the fear of failure? Are you living in the fear of rejection? Do you have confidence in the blood of Jesus? Do you have a sincere heart? Do you have a full assurance of faith? What are your motives? Have you had your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience? Do you know what a conscience is? It's a voice. You know, there's, there's four different voices, I think. One, is my voice speaking to you? Two, is the is someone else's voice, or your voice, no, is someone else's speaking to you? Me speaking to you? Then another voice is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, right? The third voice is you speaking to yourself. Did you know you talk to yourself? When you go to the mall and you see a shirt, you're like, hmm, I really like that. <laughs> or you see somebody you don't like, and you're like, I really don't like that person. Or you, see, or you see somebody that you do like and you're like, I really like a guy sees a girl. I really like her, but she'll never like me. I mean, dog, come on, you talk to yourself, don't you? Huh? You're constantly talking to yourself. That's your conscience. Now, let me ask you something. Is your conscience in agreement with the word of God? Is what you tell yourself or think about yourself clean? Do you have a clean conscience? I'll never do that. I'm ugly. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to prophesy. I'm never going to sing. You're in agreement with the lies of the enemy. What you think about others. What you say about others. Everything. Your conscience has to be clean. If you want to encounter a holy God, you have to have your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Some of you struggle with self-hatred. That's not who you are. God does not see you that way. You have access. You can come into His presence. Let's stand.